there, and welcome to the Zero Half Hour, brought to you by Zero Hour Health and Zedic, a podcast where we talk with leaders from across the food service industry and beyond about the pressing issues of the day in 30 minutes or less. Our goal is to share ideas from diverse perspectives on a range of topics that matter to every business in the current and post-COVID eras. I'm Rosalind Stone, CEO of Zero Hour Health, and thanks for joining us. Today, we're joined by Roberta Barbieri. Roberta is the Executive Vice President for Human Resources at Boudin. Many of you are familiar with Boudin's San Francisco sourdough French bread, which they've been making with the same mother dough since 1849, but less familiar with them as a food service industry employer with a very diversified workforce. Hi, Roberta. Great to see you and talk to you. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you work, how long you've been there? Absolutely, absolutely. So I have a very interesting story. Uh, Obviously, my name is Roberta Barbieri. I'm the Executive Vice President of Human Resources for Boudin Bakery. Uh, It's a family-run operation. Boudin is known worldwide for its sourdough bread, and it's recognized as the oldest uh, continuing operating business, actually, in San Francisco since 1849. Um, I'm proud to say that I've worked there uh, for many, many years, which I will lead into. So unbeknownst to me, starting at the age of 15, 38 years later, I started as a part-time hourly employee. Wow. Um, Boudin was a great place to work because it was hip. All of my friends worked there. They paid better than minimum wage. And I think it was like $3.75. So I'm really dating myself. Um, And we were able to bring home a free loaf of bread for every day that we worked which was terrific. I I was the friends of the neighborhood with all the bread that I brought home. Um, We, Boudin was very flexible with scheduling. So it allowed me to work summers and holidays as I went through high school and then college. Um, I stayed in California. I graduated from St. Mary's College of California with a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology. Um, I started in operations and worked every possible position with Boudin from retail clerk to manager, to general manager and regional manager, I learned at an early age the importance of team. Um, In order to be a respected leader, I needed to understand the experiences of what the team was going through on a day-to-day basis. Hence the reason I learned how to do every single position so I could help them, I would be able to provide them direction and guidance. Um, So it was was really, um, I would say, a very good experience for me as a foundation. I think everybody really needs to understand operations no matter what position you're in in a company. Um, When the time came to expand with Boudin, I was instrumental in hiring, um, helping to hire and recruit um, talent for the organization. And I was the recruiting coordinator. Uh, We had the people, now they said we need the training. So then I took on training and development, and I was instrumental in developing their policies and procedures and their training materials so that we would, so that we would have the information necessary for our people to be empowered to grow and understand how to run the business. Uh, I was promoted to personnel manager, and that's a term that's dating far back, uh, and during that time, Boudin didn't have any personnel department. So I was learning on the fly. Uh, My receptionist at the time and I worked together and they were told build a a personnel department. And when I was doing the notes for this podcast last night, it really dawned on me that going through the different areas within my biography that I'm giving you now, I'm learning that through Boudin, it made me the person I am today in order to go through 
what I've gone through with the pandemic and leading an organization. So um, my, I would say, counterpart, Chris Borg, who is my receptionist at the time, but was my personnel right-hand person, uh, we developed a department. And it was, it was fun and it was exciting and we learned together. And what did it teach us is that, once again, team is critical. Um, you'll hear that theme throughout everything that I'm saying. In my current role today, I oversee the organization ensuring accountability for employment, health and welfare, workers' comp, organizational development, employee relations, legal compliance, and now COVID. So several months ago, you called me mm-hmm. and we had a really interesting conversation. Um, yep. in, in the interest of full disclosure, Bujina has been a long time corporate wellness and now zero mm-hmm. hour health client, many, many years. Um, almost 10, yeah, almost 10, almost 10 years, 2013. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and some of your leadership at that time had worked with us and some other companies before they be, before they, they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you called me to talk about how you'd manage Boudin through COVID, um, with us. And mm-hmm. your story mm-hmm. was just really, you know, very, very meaningful for us. And that's partially why, why, why I asked you to join me here today. Can you, can you tell right. us about that? Absolutely. So at the time, there was an issue that we had. Our chief brand officer, Gail DeBras, had asked us to reach out because we had a customer from our San Diego area uh, write a letter to us about masks. And um, quite frankly, when you look at what was going on in our world at that time, there was so much outside noise, social media, internet, TV, news. We're trying to navigate a pandemic where there was no rule book, there was nothing. And HR is so used to having the law and policies and procedures that we felt naked without them. I remember Chris Borg coming to me saying, I'm gonna call Zero Hour Health. I said, terrific. And when she came back and she told me about it, I said, you know, I started to realize she was getting these newsletters. So I said, send those to me. I saw the newsletters and I will tell you, Rosalind, at that point in time, the newsletters, the articles, the information, your webcasts, the people that you had on, I was glued to them. I I remember saying to Chris, you've got to get Rosalind on the phone. Everybody should know what this company has to offer. It gives you that light at the end of the tunnel. It provides you with some sort of honest answers that you can then bring back to your executives, your team members, your coworkers, because we really, there was so much coming at us from a human resource perspective. Oh my gosh, articles and legal things and attorneys and this and this, that you just had to stop and think. And what I found about yours is it was not politically driven. I found that there was a com- underlining sense of compassion for the people that are trying to navigate this, especially through the restaurant business, that the information provided was user-friendly it allowed us to be able to react and act quickly. Um, and quite frankly, it was something that I came to trust. So not only <laughs> did I yearn to get onto, you know, watch your webcams and, and get your newsletters, everything else could be burning down. But the minute I saw those come in, I would read them. I started sharing them with colleagues, third parties, um, our benefits brokers, and just said, you've got to sign up to, for these things. They are amazing. And I just think you did such a great job of trying to calm the storm, of trying to make sense out of chaos, <laughs> of making me feel that there was somebody there that understood what we were going through. 
and it was okay to not have the answers because I felt going to you, you would, if you didn't have them, you'd find them for us. And it's so comforting to know, especially as the head of HR, where resilience is important. Making sure that our employees are taken care of is important. But when you don't have answers, you feel as though you're not doing your job. And you guys were the light at the end of the tunnel for me. And there are so many people that I have talked to regarding the support that you gave that, I mean, I'll tell you, it was one of the reasons I was able to make it through this pandemic. Thank Which you. Just knowing. We, we appreciate that. And we're really glad to, to, to be there for you and really, you know, really appreciate that, that incredibly positive feedback. Now you had, you know, everybody has challenges, but you uh-huh. had more unique challenges or different challenges <laughs> being California based. Yeah. Um, you know, yep. California employers face unique challenges. There is no question about it. Talk to me right. about that. Right. You know, the recent Cal OSHA ruling, you know, now we even have a new yeah. Cal OSHA challenge this last week or two. I don't <sighs> know if we've talked about this, but. So Cal OSHA mm-hmm. says you report three plus positives and then you have to offer testing to everyone at the location. Um, they don't have mm-hmm. to accept it, but you have to offer testing. Now in the last two weeks, they're saying if you have three plus positives and you report it and you offer testing, that everybody has to go back to being masked for two weeks, vaccinated mm-hmm. or unvaccinated, mm-hmm. just like LA did today. Cal OSHA has been doing Absolutely. for several weeks. Um, Absolutely. Um, the requirement for vax tracking. How are you manage, managing it? How does being a California employer um, impact your world? Yeah, well, first of all, being a California employer is one thing, being in the restaurant industry is another. Right. And I think it's important to understand, as you know, Rosalind, the demographic of employee. Um, we have a large Hispanic population. We have a very diverse culture. That's what makes us the family that we are. Um, when we communicate, we make sure that we communicate in English and Spanish. Well, what was happening is, is when you look at California, it's not so much always the rule as it is the process by which they're coming to agreement or not agreement or circulating information. So, for example, when um, you looked at the masking and, you know, were people going to wear masks? Were they not? Were we going to go completely open? Was California not? We're hearing these things left and right. The challenge that we found wasn't in the rule itself, so I'm giving the example about masks. It just happened not even a month ago. But it was rejecting the information, This and I'm thinking, I'm talking about Cal OSHA for specifically for this. A few hours later, they accepted it. Then a week later, they changed it. So what we were trying to navigate is we're trying to run a business, communicate it to employees that are not always full-time, that are not always there, and trying to comply with what the law is. And we've done a really good job of staying on top of it, but the challenge has been the back and forth, the up and down, the yes, the no, and then quick. That day, it has to be implemented. Right. Well, when you look at that, you know that's why when we put together the, the COVID task force, we needed that. We needed every department that would be available to quickly divide and conquer the necessary items. HR was policy writers. How are we going to position it? How are we going to communicate it? How do we then talk to operations about it? And so the key that we found is in, again, a time of chaos, our role was to provide information that was succinct, that wasn't a manual, but something important for the employees, important information so the employees knew it wasn't just the law, but it was the law and their health that was our main concern. I think what we've really learned through all this is when you when you think oh my gosh it can get frustrating 
what you just have to think about is we've got through we've gone through so much we've been able to do what we've been able to do because we've been able to pivot and be agile uh, for anybody in the industry that is so structured i have found forget that notion it doesn't work you've got to be able to pivot quickly your plan may not always go the way you want but know that you know from a human resource perspective again my focus is on what do we need to do to keep the employee and the guests safe and manage the needs of the business and how do we couple that together so anytime there seems to be an upheaval i'm always trying to find a way to balance it out with something positive how did you have i mean i'm so impressed with how so many of our clients reinvented their businesses you know sometimes inside of 30 days when all these shutdowns yes. happened how were oh, yeah. you, how were you impacted by that you were not particularly a to-go or delivery organization correct no, but we found that luckily we did have everything in place ready to go. And thank God we did because it was unbelievable the amount of, of how delivery just took off crazy. Also, we have a fulfillment, a gift department, and it's catalog orders. And you order sourdough bread and you send it. And usually during the holiday season, it peaks. I mean, when you look at those two arenas between delivery and cater delivery specifically, and you look at our fulfillment department, those were the two areas that were just exceeding the expectations because that's people were not going out. So they were ordering and they were doing all of that. Had we not had our systems in place for third-party delivery, we would have been far behind. But we have an amazing IT team and operations team that just really powered through the last year in doing it, but really were ready to just flip the switch. And I will tell you, Talk about taking a, a restaurant that serves sourdough bread and sandwiches and salads and soups and wonderful products to making it into a mini grocery store to deciding that um, we were going to sell lobster dinners and to certain areas or, or crab dinners to certain areas and we had our sourdough bread. That was an idea that just came up. It was doing whatever we could do to keep the business going. So things that we wouldn't norm normally do, prepackaging dinners for families because we knew that families would just want something and make it easy, comfort food. We were really into pizza and making pizza more than we ever did. Um, but you just do what you need to do you look at the trends, you look at what people are doing, and then you just say, hey, we've got the ability to do it. And we had executives that were driving crab dinners to places, that were dropping off meals to other locations. So it was, it was quite fun. Um, the chaos actually allowed us to put down our, our guard of everything has to be perfect and right. No, if we're there 80%, we're moving right. and we're going. And it, and it helped us tremendously. It, it really did. Which of those things, those new, I mean, the creativity is just mind-blowing. Which of those yes. things do you think will stay around? Definitely third-party delivery. Mm -hmm. We're already looking at revamping the systems um, for our catalog department, mm -hmm. which is great. Um, so I think what we learned is, number one, it is definitely catalog and it still continues to do well, um, is, is one of our, is a main facet of our organization and it's even a bigger player than what we thought. So they're really looking at ensuring that it runs efficiently and smoothly and that the website is user-friendly um, and people can do that. That's one focus. Delivery is another one. Um, as I said, just looking at what else is out there. So we're, uh, we're ahead of the count when it comes to delivery. The other thing is, is I think we're looking at our stores. What products really sell and what don't? Mm -hmm. And if we were to pull back again and if something were to happen, 
are we ready to, to move in a direction where we could, could quickly do what we needed to do when we were sheltered in place? Yeah. I don't see us necessarily, and it's very hard to say this. I mean, we're we're certainly seeing a surge in the last in the last two mm-hmm. weeks that um, came much earlier than than we expected. Don't right. you know? Don't know that I see shutdowns coming again. But who saw them? Yeah. You know, who saw them in, to begin with? What do you think are the industry's right. biggest challenges? I will tell you the biggest challenge. I think not only for the industry but our country is the lack of labor. I was looking at statistics. Uh, Four million people quit their jobs in April, according to the Labor Board. 750,000 of those people worked in the leisure and hospitality industry. And here's what's interesting, Rosalind, is that, think about it, millions of people are out of work, but employers are complaining that there's a labor shortage. So that, to me, was, was very interesting. I think the perception was the minute things started to go back to normal, restaurants would have their pick of people we'd have an overload of people. Not the case at all. Within our organization, I communicate quite a bit with operations. Everything we do, we're communicating and listening to them. What I found out is, um, and we've seen it in our own turnovers, there are some people that have decided to go outside the realm of food service. And they're opening their own businesses. And they're doing things where they could spend more quality time at home with their family. Rightfully so. The pandemic afforded people the time to think. Uh, about what they want, how they want to live their lives, what they value. And I think that mindset is what we're seeing now, the change in the juxtaposition of of the hourly worker um, within the restaurants. Also, the remote work at support office that we're at, our corporate headquarter, uh, we're still not mandated to come in five days a week. Um, our CEO has allowed us to make those decisions on our own. We decide when we go in and, you know, we do business as usual, um, but we are so we're able to fully function. We've made ourselves able to fully function outside of those four walls. I mean, my my home office has now become my human resource department and everything is related to COVID. But, you know, everything here is at our fingertips. So um, I, I think what we really need to be aware of is the change in the employee's mindset. And what can we do? Because clearly, we're not going to stop running restaurants, right? Right. We're not going to do that. Uh, we're not going to start stop baking our bread, our wonderful bread. Um, we're going to continue on. So, what I think, what we have looked at is what is the employee looking for with these changes? What do they really need? And what I have heard through pulse surveys and different things that we've done is that the employee wants to know that they matter, that what they do is important, that they're a part of a bigger picture and that they're cared about. And we've got to remember, we're not through this yet. So the stress and the mental, I guess, the mental wear that has um, affected people has really had an effect on the way they are when they came back to the workplace. So the well-being of the employee, I think, is something employees definitely are looking at. I've been reading so many articles about what the employee wants. So what we've decided to do is not that we've decided it because we would have done this anyway, but with the ability to somewhat now get our head above water because we're managing all these different things with COVID and hopefully the vaccines will help us to continue to move in a positive direction is the fact that we are uh, refocusing on the employee and the culture. And how are we doing this? Um, We are implementing 
uh, a program called ROCS, Recognition for Outstanding Customer Service. And it specifically reinforces good positive behavior between, cust- between our employee and customers, employee to employee, su- support office to the employee. So when we see someone going above and beyond the call of duty, they're recognized for it. And we make it fun. You know, there's a contest, they can get gift cards, all of these fun things. But the basic thing is, is that we're putting our focus on them. What could we do to reward them? That's one thing. Um, the other thing that we're doing is we had a monthly newsletter that we used to do. And it, what it did is it showcased it, showcased all the accomplishments, all of the great stories, the birthdays, the anniversaries, the things that different locations were doing with their people. It was more color and people than it was text, which people liked. And we've relaunched that. We're doing it on a quarterly basis um, instead of a monthly basis. But people are just so excited to see their name up there. And it goes out to every single location. Um, and developing mentoring programs. Our new director of operations and I have talked about the importance of right now there is growth within the organization, and that's the growth and development of our people, of their minds, of their skill set. So mentoring, we're starting to put together a program for that. Um, the other thing we're doing is we're really looking at flexibility um, when scheduling when it when it's possible. Um, we know that there are family members that still have children at home. We know that there are people that have... Um, commitments outside the organization. So what we've done is we've really looked to see how can we manage that with the skeleton crew that we have specifically at our support office. Um, And also one other thing that we do, which is very, I think, unique to Boudin is I'm a big believer we're family. And when you take care of people's families, um, you, you you reap the dividends of it. So we used to have a lot of events for our support office employees for their children. And the beauty of it is you get to see these little ones grow to be teenagers and you think, geez, am I getting that old? I hope not, but it's beautiful to see it. And um, what we did is I said, we've got to do this because this type of stuff feeds my soul. When I don't have this, I learned through the pandemic, I'm not a very nice person because hmm. I'm not happy. And what we did is we made sure gingerbread houses for the holiday season that we had Zoom calls and they were there with their parents and they got these little kits. They were able to put that together. Mother's Day, we sent to the kids and dads little things that they could put together for cards. Then we'd have them all come together and on Zoom show what they did. Um, so Dude, it's, I love that. It, and, it's, and it's just so much fun because they're so excited to be there and we're, we're just so excited to see them. So anytime we can do the smallest thing to bring fun back and energy and excitement, we're doing. Um, We're also looking at our employee assistance program. Um, As you know, Rosalind, um, well-being, mental health, anxiety, depression, numbers are up. So we thought, you know, we're not clinical psychologists, we're not psychiatrists, but we are people that care about our people and want to put them with the right resources. So we're looking at um, resources that are 24-7, different languages, Uh, We do have one right now that we're working with, which is great. But the continued um, connection to help our people um, connect with people that could help them outside the workplace in areas that we shouldn't probably be venturing in or that we're not knowledgeable in. So that is something else that we're doing. But the whole focus is on the employee and what we can do to make their lives easier, better, more fun, and just keep them happy couple of thoughts. One is, is you've mentioned fun a lot, and that has come up in a, several of the other podcasts that we've recorded. Um, when you talk about that 25% of people left the, the restaurant and hospitality industry permanently during the pandemic, one of the things they mentioned is my job isn't fun anymore. You know, now I don't feel safe and it's not fun anymore. Yes. Um, and putting the yes. fun back in is, is um, 
is challenging, is more difficult than it was, takes creativity, um, you know, and then when you're short staffed and you're still worried about COVID and you have, you know, guests who, you know, are experiencing yep. you being short staffed, yep. it all, you know, it yep. just, it, it just all piles up. Mm-hmm. You and I had an interesting conversation um, a while back when we were talking about vaccinations and, and we found that there isn't, you know, one solution that fits everyone. Um, one of the things that we talked about was looking at your employee population and that it's very difficult to get native language vaccination guidance. And um, mm-hmm. one of the things mm-hmm. that worked and, and you guys tried and, and deserve credit for you know, trying every, every avenue that might work, mm-hmm. you know, was that someone taking someone to get vaccinated. Do you want someone to go with you? Um, do you want someone mm-hmm. to go with you to either to translate or to hold your hand or help you get there or right. you know sit in the car or give you a ride? Right. Um, and those right. those things really worked, and um, and it showed the personal um, the personal level of management that was required and the commitment of of managers um, to to the process. Right. Um, Rosalind, can I just can I share a quick story on that note because I think it's so telling about who we are as a company. Is our director of safety and compliance, who works very closely with HR, his name is Ben. He made it a point, um, our bakeries run 24 seven. Um, we have a large Hispanic population. Computer literacy is really not their forte. They're amazing at what they do. They develop a product that is absolutely wonderful. So we don't expect them to do this, but we knew that if you would call CVS or Walgreens at one o'clock in the morning, that's when their new lists came out. Correct. So what mm-hmm. Ben did is he had his alarm every day and at five minutes to one in the morning, he would get them on the phone, get on and start asking them questions and signing them up for vaccines. They wanted vaccines. They just didn't know how about, how to go about getting them. The minute you get in, you're kicked off or it's taken and you get frustrated. So for our bakery population, Ben made it a point to be able to get them you know, appointments so that they could go. And the extent of what we did to get that done, it was, it's amazing. Driving people, telling we'll go together, doing all those things. It really just reinforces the fact that we're there to help you regardless of what else is going on. And I love the fact that you talk about the fun because what I say is, my gosh, I'm working 12 to 15 hours a day, but then there's the two to four o'clock in the morning that I have time to think about the creative fun stuff. And that's what drives me to work the other hours because I know that we will get there. We will get there. Um, But the team that we have, we couldn't have had a better team. We are lean. The HR department went from six people to five people to three people. So we've got all of HR and then we've got all of COVID. Um, What I did is I made sure how can we relieve some pressure and creatively, and I don't know if this would be helpful for other companies to know, I looked at our third parties, our brokers, um, our workers' comp broker, our uh, medical broker, and those people were amazing. I'm like, look guys, here's the situation. We wanna keep our costs down. We wanna keep our people safe. Do you have anybody on your side that can help us go into restaurants, that could help HR, that could help Ben? So what we found is the extension of external resources has helped us to alleviate that pressure. It's also keeping us more closely connected so we could communicate quicker because, you know, benefits and workers comp are big cost centers. You want to make sure that you're managing that as well during this time of pandemic. But it was something in addition to the internal 
uh, group of people, the external group of people have helped us a lot. And I think one of the really important lessons there are that partnerships matter. You know, and mm-hmm. and um, you know, we talk about in any kind of medical crisis having the building blocks in place, the relationship with health departments, a vendor, you know, somebody like us, um, absolutely available to you. But you don't build those partnerships on the fly in the middle of a crisis. You have had right. to have those relationships and nourish them and right. support them so that when right. when you needed them, you know, absolutely you meeting meeting people for the first time. Absolutely. So one so one sort of let us final topic for, for discussion. So many of the epidemiologists say, you know, we were past due for this pandemic, which means we're past mm-hmm. due for the next one. What does that mean mm-hmm. for you, for Bourdain? Someone told me earlier it means I'm going to retire before it happens. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> um, and, and the industry, you know, and, and for the industry, how do you, mm-hmm. you know, what are the takeaways? What are the lessons to prepare for whatever might come next? Yeah, that was a great question. And I really thought about it long and hard. And one thing that I can tell you is that if I learned anything, which I knew, but I think people have learned, is invest in your essential workers. Mm-hmm. They're essential for a reason. That term is for a reason. Well, and that's a new term to us. I mean, we didn't call it. Right. You know. No, right. never, never. They were called by what their job description was, right. not that they're essential, right? And I look at anybody who weathered that storm as essential. So the bottom line is, is if we've learned anything through the pandemic, I think we've learned that without those people, without their dedication and their loyalty, where would our economy be at this point in time? I mean, it's amazing. So number one, what does it mean to me is that um, it means to me that we're going to continue to invest and take care of our employees. Uh, The essential workers are critical to our backbone. Um, Always have a plan B. Always have a plan B. When we set up our systems and we set up our metrics and we set up our reporting, we do it, we think about all the what ifs that could happen. So when you look at the pandemic and what we've been through, no one had a rule book, no one had a playbook. You did what you needed to do. Well, now we have that experience to draw from. So what we look at is, okay, if a rule changes, if a law changes, how are we going to pivot quickly? Um, And we have kind of adopted that plant B mentality to drive us to that next level. Uh, Boudin, I would say, um, what has Boudin learned from this? The importance of agility and moving quickly, uh, doing things outside your comfort zone. A company that dates back to 1849 has a lot of history, but we're also set in a lot of ways of doing things a certain way. What we realized is that we had to do whatever it was to make it work, and we did it. Um, Staying strong together, is another thing that I think the industry really needs to know is that the essence of the team and truly what a team means is going to be critical should the next pandemic or chaotic situation happen. I mean, I live in San Francisco. I always have a plan B. Earthquakes could happen at any given time. But when you look at the team of people that you're around and the team of people that have worked tirelessly 24-7, have answered the call at 2 o'clock in the morning, you realize, like, what would I be without them? Uh, global pandemic or not, they're just, it's its very, very important to take care of them emotionally, um, their well-being, as well as, you know, physically is their safety. You know, our clients who had good, you, you mentioned earthquakes, our clients who had good hurricane and earthquake plans um, mm-hmm. were pretty easily able to develop flu pandemic plans, which was a major topic of conversation back in 2009. And then those wow. same, those same things really translated to pandemic plans. 
Right. You know, if right. you can figure right. out how to operate and how to communicate with employees and how to keep them paid and how to find out which of your buildings are still standing, you know, in a major earthquake. Right. It's the same skill set, just magnified. Yes. Or just, um, right. Geographically less focused. It, Exactly, exactly. But I just, I, I want to say, I know that we're, we're coming up to closing, but Rosalind, again, I just, I just have to say two things. Number one is I want to thank you for this opportunity. Um, as I said, it's my first podcast. I, I, I talk from the heart. Um, people that know me know that compassion and empathy run through my blood. But I, I want to thank you and your organization for allowing us to be vulnerable and it being okay because you provided us with the support we needed to get through that next day. Um, so that's number one. And if there's anything that I can say in closing is I've learned that um, listen, not just with the ears, but with the heart. Um, our people have gone through a lot in this country. And with what we've gone through last year, with so many issues that went on in our world, be kind, be kind and take care of each other and, and value the day because tomorrow we don't know what is going to come. Excellent. Well, Roberta, thank you so much. It was great, great to talk with you today. Um, thank you. We are still, still eating uh, our, our supply of boudin bread that arrived at my, at my home Good. the other day, and, and my family Good. was so excited about. And thank you. Um, and Good. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Thanks Rosalind. Take care. Take care. Be well. Bye bye. That's our show for today. Thanks again for taking the time to join us. Stay tuned for our next episode in your inboxes and on your podcast app of choice soon. As always, if you have any topics or questions you'd like us to cover or have a guest we should chat with, don't hesitate to reach out to us at support at zerohourhealth.com. To learn more about us and subscribe to our twice-weekly executive summary, check out zerohourhealth.com. Thanks again. Thanks again.